The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Today we're going to be talking about domestic violence from the Super Bowl to O.J. Simpson. Now, it's interesting, um, and of course, and Valentine's Day soon after, um, and I'll tell you how all these things fit together. There, for, for years, there has been a statistic or a, uh, a general concept that has been repeated by um, numerous people, um, therapists, uh, researchers, and so on, that have indicated that the day of the Super Bowl is the day when there is the most domestic violence, the, the most reports of domestic violence, the most people coming to the emergency room. I mean, it's a little hard to um, put all of these statistics together, but it's a general sense, some of it anecdotal, that in fact on that day there is more uh, incidents of domestic violence, which of course is different from more reports of domestic violence, but on the whole, that domestic violence increases on the day of the Super Bowl. I happen to totally agree with that. I have been saying that for years, um, and uh, and it, it makes sense, as I'll explain. Um, but when I when I was doing research for the show today, I see that um, it, it, there apparently has it's has bec- this has become a controversy. And um, I think that there are political reasons um, why it's a controversy and why people don't want to acknowledge that, indeed, um, the Super Bowl is associated with more domestic violence. And it's not just the Super Bowl. You know, I I was reading about how um, in England, I mean, there have been other statistics that on days of, even when it's a game that isn't as, um, famous and powerful as the Super Bowl, that there are, even on a lower scale, a more local scale, there are, in fact, um, anecdotal and statistical reports that domestic violence increases when there are stakes. And the higher the stakes, the more the domestic violence. Um, in general, just to give you some idea, in general, regardless of Super Bowls and so on, um, in, in one year there are at least 12.7 million people who are physically abused, raped, or stalked. 12.7 million people, and that has to be a, um, a conservative estimate. That would mean, however, that there are 24 people per minute who have been, are being, as with, during this show, for example, 24 times 60 approximately, um, people 
will be physically abused, raped, or stalked. And these statistics are not getting any lower. Um, the situation is getting worse as the world is getting crazier and, and there is more violence and so on in the world as a whole. Um, this Super Bowl, uh, there, well, just to, to go back to the political reasons for why people are, are questioning this statistic or this phenomenon, this concept that uh, more people would are, um, suffer domestic violence than on any other day. Of course, one of the biggest uh, groups of people who don't want to believe that um, is the NFL. Um, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. They don't want, I mean, not only do they not want their Super Bowl or their games to be associated in people's minds with domestic violence, but in recent years they have had um, very glaring examples of domestic violence within their ranks. So that, of course, recalls to mind um, all of these different people, athletes, who are in the, well, if not in the Super Bowl, certainly in the NFL, um, who have been accused and, and who have been, been shown on videotape um, to be perpetrating acts of domestic violence. And then, of course, you know, it's the whole gender um, dispute. Um, many men in general don't want, who are in love with sports and in love with the Super Bowl in particular, don't want to believe that that would be a day when um, there would be increased domestic violence. Now, I, I watched the Super Bowl um, this year. I'm not really, uh, you know, I'm not really, I have to admit, I'm not really that interested in it. But um, but I was at a party, and we watched the Super Bowl, and no, no one, <laughs> at least during the party, no one was uh, violent, to my knowledge. But, um, but you know, I, actually, on, my, on the way there, I had been listening to KNX, and I heard um, a sports announcer talk about um, how Peyton Manning, this is going to be his last year, or, you know, he was sort of, he had had physical problems and it's amazing that he was in the Super Bowl and how this is his um, he's going to be going into retirement and so the announcer was talking about how he was rooting for the Denver Broncos because of Peyton Manning and you know having him go out in this um, blaze of glory so that kind of got me rooting for somebody otherwise I had no <laughs> no particular interest in either team but um, in any case um, uh, you know, what was interesting, I, I did see, you know, the, the ads on the whole were rather lackluster this year. You know, there's usually such a big deal about Super Bowl ads. I don't know where the creativity was this year, but um, there was really nothing that stood out and nothing that was particularly creative in my mind, except for um, this one ad by a campaign called No More. And it was an ad about domestic violence. And um, it was a text. It showed um, the video was watching people write a text. I'm sure most of you saw this. So, But for those of you who didn't, um, since this is international, um, it was a text. And it was one person writing about asking, how's the party? And the person, her friend, these two women, and the friend, uh, because they were pictures of the two women, and the friend answered her and said, there's plenty of, plenty of game left. Are you sure you can't make it? And then the first woman said, I don't think so. 
And then it goes on to say that Jake, uh, who's obviously her boyfriend or her husband, is in one of those moods, and um, he wouldn't want me to go out. So, I mean, it's, it was obvious that what this was about was um, <laughs> was domestic violence, a woman being scared to go to a party um, that her husband, of her friend, that her because her husband or her boyfriend wouldn't be happy with that, and in any case, it seemed there, it ends with dot dot dot. So it ends with you and music that seems like doom is coming, and so um, it leads you to believe that either he has hit her just then, or he will be hitting her or doing worse soon. And it was very effective. Um, and then, of course, it said text a certain number you know, to get help. Um, and so I, I thought that that was great. And of course, it's interesting um, that these same people, however, then denied that, because they're doing this in conjunction with the NFL, and then they denied that there is an increase of, of um, domestic violence on Super Bowl Sunday. So I thought that was a little disingenuous, quite frankly. But, but in any case, um, hopefully there will be women who um, will have seen this and taken down the number or at least, you know, thought about the fact that there is um, a way to get help and that they should get help. So um, think, when you think about it, why putting statistics and, you know, the controversy aside for a minute, I mean, just, it just makes common sense. All of the things that go into domestic violence um, or, or not all of the things. I mean, it actually has to do with a psychological profile, and I'll be talking about that uh, soon. Um, what kinds of women are attracted to men who are perpetrators of domestic violence and what kinds of men become, become perpetrators. Now, and so I, I'm not saying by any means that um, if someone doesn't have a psychological makeup that would... Um, make them a likely perpetrator of domestic violence, that some totally normal, nice guy accountant is going to be sitting there watching the Super Bowl and suddenly become, not that, not that accountants can't perpetrate domestic violence, but you know what I mean, some nice guy sitting there calmly, never, never was violent, never will be violent, and then all of a sudden the Super Bowl provokes him to be violent if he doesn't have the psychological makeup to begin with. So I'm not saying that. But I am saying that, if someone is vulnerable, if they do have um, a predisposition or if they do have um, you know, certain things going on in their life that would make them vulnerable to this, that some of the factors of the Super Bowl push them over, can push them over the edge. Like, for example, the fact that alcohol usually flows during, um, during the Super Bowl. And sometimes by the end, you know, if it goes on longer than the people have counted on, than the hosts have counted on, um, and there isn't enough food to go down with the alcohol. Usually there's more alcohol than food. And so then that makes the impact of the alcohol, the effects worse, stronger. Um, and alcohol is a trigger for someone who, um, you know, has these, uh, has the makeup to become violent. Also, the Super Bowl kind of gets, can get, and this year, for example, um, it, after a while, towards the end, it did get boring. I mean, okay, I'm not the greatest person to comment on that because I was kind of bored to begin with. But even for sports enthusiasts, you know, so obviously, pretty much from the beginning, 
soon after the beginning, it was pretty obvious that the Denver Broncos had such a lead that the Carolina Panthers wouldn't be able to, to catch up. So that got a little boring. Um, then um, people get very stoked, of course, with, for the Super Bowl. They identify, they're, they're rooting for one team or the other. Um, they identify with that team, maybe because they come from that place or they like a particular player on that team or whatever it is. They are rooting usually for one team or the other. Um, and, then, and then when people make bets on a team, that makes the stakes literally higher. Um, so if their team is not winning, it makes them all the more angry. And then even sometimes when the team that a person wants that um, wins, um, you know, it, when it's over, there's still all that um, that adrenaline, all that excitement, all that. And and even if they win, you know, it's it's um, it, it's already gathered. All of that testosterone um, brought that to the surface, and, and it can st- even if the person's team wins, it can still result in domestic violence. But especially, of course, if the person loses, because then they're angry. Err. So um, it just you know you don't have to be a psychiatrist or a statistician or a researcher to figure this out. And I'll bet you that many of you listening right now um, have seen, hopefully not in your own life, but have seen um, occasions of this, maybe friends or relatives or, you know, or afterwards um, a friend of yours tells you about it. Um, You know, this is really not something that, that should be. That should be up for that much controversy when we've all, if, if you've been to a couple of, of Super Bowl parties. And I'm not saying that they all end in a, in a knockdown, drag out brawl, but, um, oftentimes, you know, you hear about what happened afterwards later. And, um, this is just something to be really, to be really, um, wary of, to be really aware of and wary of. And if you're, if you host a Super Bowl party in the future, or even not just the Super Bowl, if you host a party of, uh, a sports watching party, you know, some of these same issues are, are still true, just at a lower level. And so you do need to make sure that you don't overdo it with the alcohol and, and that, um, the women keep, um, their cell phones on them. Uh, and and keep a distance from their man if if they see them getting too uh, too excited or they know you know or too angry. Um, so it's just something to kind of keep in mind. And when you're the one person <laughs> that this is happening to, um, it's it's a hundred percent for you. Well, we're going to talk now um, about about what kinds of men I've been saying it's not it's not every guy who sits there calmly and you know watches a super bowl he's not going to turn into a perpetrator of domestic violence unless he has certain um a certain psychological makeup and in my book bad boys why we love them how to live with them and when to leave them I talk about 12 different types of bad boys and one of the types is the Prince of Darkness, um, and that I also call for each each of the twelve types. I introduce them by comparing them or illustrating them with a fairy tale or um, a story that people can relate to. And so, the Prince of Darkness, I relate to the story of Dracula, because essentially these are men who are um, 
who are biting their women, who are uh, making their women run dry. And I'll, I'll get into details about that. But before the break, let me just give you some um, five questions for you to ask yourself about your man or, or if you're a guy listening, ask yourself these questions. He mesmerizes you with a whirlwind courtship and instant devotion. That's the first uh, warning sign. He's irrationally jealous and may stalk you to see if you're cheating. He's passionately possessive and wants you to be constantly available. He enthralls and overpowers you with his sexual charisma. His volatile emotions may erupt into verbal, physical, or sexual abuse. And, of course, that's, that's the point. This type of bad boy is the type who becomes uh, verbally, physically, or sexually abusive, and especially physically or sexually. Um, you know, in other words, there's a, I have a Mr. Power Mad also as one of the types of bad boys, but he does not go as far as, um, as the Prince of Darkness, who is actually abusive. So um, one of the types, one of the examples of the Prince of Darkness, sort of a classic example, and um, ironically, uh, the, uh, on television these days, in a new um, television show about him called American Crime Story, it's on FX, and it's the O.J. Simpson story, um, and he is the poster boy for uh, the Prince of Darkness type, um, since that was... What was what happened when he killed Nicole? Um, and I will be talking about that too, the show and OJ and how he exemplifies the Prince of Darkness. But first I want to talk more about the psychological makeup. And we will do that when we come back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about domestic violence from the Super Bowl to O.J. Simpson. Well, we just talked about the Super Bowl. 
We're going to be talking about um, now the psychological profile of uh, the type of bad boy who um, is the typical perpetrator of domestic violence. And um, O.J. Simpson is the classic uh, example of this profile. And we're going to be talking later about um, the television show that is on now on FX. So let's talk about the profile. First of all, um, what makes a bad boy? Let me sort of start from the beginning. Um, what makes a bad boy is his dysfunctional relationship with his mother. Now, I'm not talking just about the Prince of Darkness type, also called the voracious vampire type, the Dracula type. Um, all bad boys, all 12 types that I describe um, come from a dysfunctional relationship with their mother when they were growing up. Now, depending upon how it was dysfunctional, that will turn them into um, a particular type of bad boy. So, for the um, for the uh, Prince of Darkness type, uh, although certainly you know fathers have something to do with it, play a role, and so on, also, um, and typically um, princes of darkness have fathers that are. Um, uh, that are, uh, you know, if not abusive, then um, certainly not very uh, available and not very, um, and if not abusive to the child, then abusive to the, to the mother um, or have other very negative traits. But it's primarily the mother. Um, and it, it, with, with Princes of Darkness, the mothers um, have... They're very angry. I mean, it all starts, all the rage that they put onto the, the woman who they're with, their girlfriend, their, their wife, whatever woman they're with, where that comes from is the rage that they have towards their mother, the leftover rage, the rage that they've never um, gotten over from, um, that really is felt, is, really stems from their treatment and their feelings by their mother. So, um, so in OJ's, let me read you the paragraph that I, where I describe about OJ's relationship to his mother. Now, yes, we know he loved his mother um, on one level, kind of like he loved Nicole on one level, but he was also enraged at her, especially at the end when, when he thought that she was going to leave him. I mean, they were separated, but when he realized that she, was, that she meant it, that she was never coming back, that was what precipitated her murder. So this is what I wrote about um, O.J. In, my, in the Prince of Darkness chapter. O.J. Simpson's mother testified at his double murder trial that as a baby, he was literally replaced at her breast by a child who was born very soon after he was and developed such a serious vitamin deficiency that his bones were deformed for years and continued to cause him pain throughout his adult life. One look at the horrific photos of his ex-wife Nicole's battered face reveals how violent his jealousy of the sibling who stole his life-giving milk from him and his rage at the mother whose neglect wounded him to the bone must be. So in other words, O.J.'s mother um, had a baby so close to O.J. that um, in order to breastfeed the the sibling after O.J., she had to rip O.J. from her breast uh, too soon. And um, 
that was not only, you know, tangible did that wound OJ, but of course, metaphorically, I mean, what it meant, what the significance of it was not just that he got less milk and that that caused physical problems, but he got less closeness, he got her attention less, he got her love less. Um, and it, he he felt as if he was ripped away, that all of a sudden this woman, his mother, abandoned him. And that's what it all comes down to. When men feel that the woman that they're with is going to abandon them, that um, it, that's when their rage comes out. Now, um, uh, now, let's look at, I mean, this, it doesn't have to, I mean, obviously for princes of darkness, not all of them have been ripped from their mother's tit um, too soon, but there are certainly lots of other ways that they can feel their mother's abandonment. Uh, for example, it's little boys who are given up for adoption or put in foster care or just by neglecting him, you know, abandoning him, either physically not being there for the boy um, or favoring another child or, um, or, or you know, not emotionally not being there for him. Um, there are lots of ways that, that little boys can feel abandoned by their mothers. So, um, what does that? What are some of the? What are some of the um, signs of a prince of darkness? Well, as I was mentioning in the um, in some of the, in the warning signs that I mentioned that co- that come from my quiz actually, so that you can tell which kind of bad boy you're with. Um, but let's look at this in a little more depth. Um, first of all. His telltale traits, one of them is he comes on very strong at the start of your relationship and seduces his way into your life. So these are men who um, come in like a whirlwind. Their courtship is like a whirlwind. And they make the woman feel as though she is the most beautiful, most desirable woman in the world, and he cannot control himself. That's how she, she drives him crazy with, his, uh, with how much passion he feels for her. And so when women are feeling, have low self-esteem or um, are feeling as though uh, have, have maybe been just dumped by another guy um, or are, are in need of this feeling, I mean, who isn't <laughs> in need of a feeling that you are the most spectacular, desirable, crazy-making you know, woman who drives men insane, um, but now the women who are more likely, I said I was going to tell you which women are more likely to be attracted to um, a prince of darkness. These are women who have felt neglected by their fathers. It's always, you know, the, the first loves in a child's life, for a man, it's a uh, little boy, it's for his mother, and for a little girl, it's for her, his, her father. And so her dysfunctional relationship with her father is what drives her towards each of these different 12 types of, of bad boys. And so for the Prince of Darkness type, um, it is a father who has been very neglectful of her. And it is often a father who has been abusive towards her, physically abusive, sexually abusive, um, emotionally abusive, of course. Um, but so... So she unconsciously is drawn towards a prince of darkness because even though, I mean, of course, what girl wants to repeat the trauma of being abused, but at the same time, it is an unconscious attraction because it it's, feels familiar. This idea of, dr- of driving a man crazy, a man, um, you know, 
being driven crazy, being being passionate and excited and so on. It's a situation that makes the little girl or the woman now feel she recognizes it as familiar and she wants to change it so that the story comes up with a happier ending. So, okay, so then um, not only does he seduce her with this whirlwind courtship, but he's irrationally jealous. Now, you know, that... Two, if you look at a woman who's been neglected by her father, who's been perhaps abused by her father, um, or the man, you know, the father figure in her life, um, and there, here comes a man who is jealous of you, at first it feels, um, you know, that, oh, well, he must really love me so much that I can't even talk to another guy without him being worried that I'm going to be... Um, attracted to this other guy. I mean, he must see me as being just so overwhelmingly beautiful that any guy who talks to me or looks at me is going to want me as much as he does. Now, of course, these um, princes of darkness pick their victims. You know, they, they pick women. They know they're drawn, consciously or unconsciously, they're drawn to women who they know will be more likely to, be, um, to fall under their spell and um, to let them, you know, uh, isolate them. This is another, um, you know, also another trait is, is that though he expects the woman and demands that the woman is faithful to him, he can have sex with other women. And he certainly can flirt with other women, and he doesn't feel as though he has to be faithful. Another trait is that he's desperate to own you. So what this means is he isolates you from other people, from your friends. It doesn't have to be guys. He isolates his woman from her friends, from her family, from um, from he if if he can afford to um, uh, not have the woman work, then he wants her to be home, um, dressed in high heels and stockings, and waiting for him, and always always available for his call. Um, another example of of a relationship like this was the Terry Schiavo relationship, and actually I had her father on this radio show years ago. And um, I started asking him about the relationship, and as things came out, it was clear that they fit into this uh, pattern of um, her husband having been a prince of darkness. And one of the things that he did was he would check the odometer every day. He would check to see how many miles she drove every day to make sure that it was no more than what he expected for her to be driving to work and back, or if she had some other errand, then there, you know, he he was keeping tabs on her all the time. He would call her at work many times during the day. Um, then, uh, of course, he he thinks, you know, he wants you to just be, he doesn't believe in you being independent, the woman being independent. He wants um, her to be totally dependent upon him. Then also he's emotionally volatile with a hair-trigger temper. Now, you know, again, this comes from the times in his childhood when he looked for his mother and she wasn't there, when he felt abandoned, when he felt rage at her abandonment. And so this rage is just under the surface. And if something happens to trigger that, such as um, uh, some being cut off in traffic, um, being... Um, you know, the Super Bowl, <laughs> like we were talking about, um, alcohol, you know, things that um, creep, bring up this, this rage that is just bubbling under the surface, that's when he becomes physically abusive. 
and we're talking, I mean, as you all know, I mean, we're not, we're not talking just a little, well, I mean, it varies according to men, but it always escalates. And of course, you know that it can go and has gone, and, and unfortunately, many cases, all the way to murder. I mean, of course, like the Nicole case. Um, the Prince of Darkness can also, is often self-damaging impulsively. Um, for example, reckless driving or um, using drugs. Um, then he has a strong sexual charisma, which of course is, is enticing at first to the woman. You know, it's, it's exciting and wonderful. Um, but it, it can escalate to actual rough roughness in bed that goes beyond, um, <laughs> goes beyond Fifty Shades of Grey and um, becomes domestic violence. I mean, I, I talked about that when that movie came out, about how um, it's really dangerous uh, that a lot of men use that movie as a green light to become um, abusive for, to their woman because, you know, there's a fine line between um, doing things that are cons- that two consenting adults agree to and that the woman really finds uh, pleasurable and going over that limit with, for what the man um, finds pleasurable and actually is domestic violence. So, um, so that, let me tell you about um, the, give you some more some more signs. <laughs> um, you know, first of all, when you when you look at what you should do if you think that you're that the guy that you're with, whether you're a, a new man that you meet, or or someone you're married to, or anything in between, um, if any of this is starting to sound a little familiar, <laughs> um, then what you need to think about is, of course, the smartest move is not to invite him in to begin with. Um, you shouldn't let him suck your life blood and make you weak like a vampire does. In other words, don't let him tell you how to change your life, stop you from working or stop you from seeing your friends or your family. Um, you need to surround yourself, in fact, with people, coworkers, friends, family, people who are aware um, of what is going on. Of course, they're going to probably be telling you to, to get rid of this guy or to call the police or to get a, a temporary restraining order. And you, it probably is a good, would be good to listen. Um, any man that has any of these uh, signs um, should, be, should see a psychiatrist. I mean, the typical way of handling this is, well, first of all, if you're not married or not in a committed relationship, um, the sooner that you that you don't listen to all his begs for forgiveness. I mean, that's the cycle. First, he's violent. I mean, it, it escalates, and then he's violent, and then he's contrite, and he begs you for forgiveness, and you usually forgive him. I mean, women, too many women, too often forgive the man, even as these uh, episodes of violence escalate. And, um, but then, you know, what you really need to do if you, if you are in a committed relationship or married and you don't want to just get a temporary restraining order and, and have that be the end of the relationship, then you at the very least need to insist, need to separate and need to insist that he be, that he, uh, see a psychiatrist. And I say specifically a psychiatrist, not any other kind of, not a psychologist or a social worker, because um, a psychiatrist needs to determine whether there could be, in his particular case, any physical component 
to his explosive temper. Um, for example, there are some there are some seizure disorders um, that can result in, that can um, uh, ex- manifest themselves in um, episodes of violence, and um, or there are, or um, interestingly, research shows that many men who um, are violent towards women have had a history of a head injury, and of course, that now with this OJ um, television show, there has been. Um, the man, actually the doctor who was profiled in the movie Concussion, who brought the, um, uh, the disorder to the attention of the NFL, the fact that when uh, players get too many concussions, that it can cause um, uh, a particular kind of disorder syndrome that would include violence, and he's saying that that's why O.J. killed Nicole. I mean, really, yes, that could, it, prob- it could well have played a, a role, but the reason why O.J. killed Nicole was because um, she manifested that night um, the abandonment, that, that he realized it was over. There was no way he was going to get her back. And that was the psychological reason why it happened that particular night. That doesn't, In other words, even though he might have um, brain injury from getting hit on the head too many times in, in his football career, that does not explain why on that particular night he killed her. So, um, so we need to look at all these things. Um, there are, you know, although it is very difficult to treat people who um, are perpetrators of domestic violence, it can be possible, especially with medication, um, you know, if there is an underlying, um, an underlying psychiatric illness that is contributing to this. Of course, you should never leave him alone with children. Two-thirds of men who are physically violent towards women also harm children in the home. And, um, well, I hear the music that we need to take a break. And when we come back, I will tell you nine warning signs that you are in grave danger. In other words, stepped up from just the general sense that you may be having by now. that you are in some some danger or someone you know may be in some danger. So stay tuned. We will be right back. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about domestic violence, from the Super Bowl to O.J. Simpson and Bad Boys, Prince of Darkness, in between. Um, That's what I've been talking about just now, the psychological profile of a Prince of Darkness that I describe in my book, Bad Boys, why we love them, how to live with them, and when to leave them. Okay, as promised, here are nine warning signs that you are in grave danger. I've described him sort of in general to you, and now, um, you know, this is, this is sort of, uh, this is what you have to watch out for. Your lover has a history of battering, a history of battering women, or has abused even one previous partner. If you can find that out, that would be great. Uh, two, he has shown any inclination at all to stalk you, such as often showing up unexpectedly to check on you, driving by your home to see if you're in, spying on you through your window, or pursuing you in other ways with unwanted intensity. Again, that may seem wanted at the beginning, it's very flattering, but eventually you realize it's creepy. <laughs> Three, his dominance of you has escalated to the point where you feel cut off from the world and at his constant beck and call. Four, he's threatened you with bodily harm, either verbally or by menacing you with a gun or other weapon. Five, sex with him is getting increasingly rough. Six, he abuses drugs or alcohol, which decrease his control of his emotions, including rage. Seven, his explosions of rage are getting more powerful and more frequent. Eight, You're constantly anxious around him or feel so drained by the relationship that you're losing your grasp on life. Nine, you're pregnant and remind him of how furious he is at his mother and any baby who replaces him at the breast. So in other words, you know, when you're pregnant, that reminds him of his mother, you know, a pregnant woman. And and the thought of any baby who might replace him, it doesn't have to be literally but you, the baby that you would be giving birth to um, will be replacing him, in a sense. Not at, Well, yes, at the breast, <laughs> if you're going to be breastfeeding. Um, but, you know, metaphorically, um, replacing him with your love and attention. So, basically, um, princes of darkness have borderline personality disorder. And... Um, that is why abandonment, threatened abandonment, real abandonment, is the trigger. So um, if, you, if you realize that he has a harem also, if you realize that um, if he has been violent towards you at least once, don't wait for it to escalate because by then it can be too late. So many women go back and then, you know, they go back one time too many. Um, and or if he has sexually abused or raped you just once. So you can get a TRO, you can call a hotline, an abuse hotline. I'll give you one number. Um, If you see or hear or suspect someone you know, or of course yourself, is in immediate danger, call 911. 
But then here's the National Domestic Violence Hotline. It's um, 1-800-799-SAFE, which is 1-800-799-7233. All right, let me go on now to talk about um, OJ and the television show. Um, it's first of all, it's you know, it's a very, um, it's it's a hit series. It's going to be more of a hit. Uh, I mean, as it continues, it's going to continue to be a hit because it combines glamour with gore, and um, it claims to reveal secrets. You know, it takes us behind the scenes into uh, supposed conversations amongst the lawyers, amongst O.J. and various people in his life, and so on. And um, I, so I consider it um, like Dallas meets Criminal Minds meets Making a Murderer. Um, but I don't know, I am, will be surprised if by the end of this series that someone doesn't sue <laughs> the, uh, the movie makers, the television movie makers, um, because, you know, there are actual conversations. I mean, obviously, before they put this on the air, um, I'm sure it had to have been gone over um, many times by many lawyers. They wouldn't take this risk uh, to check that they wouldn't be liable for something. But um, And it is based upon a book, and I think that's what the television series is, is counting on, that um, the book author did do um, a lot of interviews, Tubin, um, and but... But the book um, is different in the sense that there is not as much dialogue. The book didn't have to come, you know, didn't have as much dialogue as um, as you have to have in a television series. So, um, for example, so I, so I, I I just would expect somebody, <laughs> some of the people who are portrayed in a less than flattering light, and that includes many people. I would imagine that. Um, there would be at least one of them who would sue this show. But in any case, <laughs> be that as it may, um, one of the things that bothered me about it, I mean, it was very entertaining. Um, I've watched the two, the t- first two parts of it already. Um, it was very entertaining. And, um, you know, there is a, in terms of uh, television um, ratings and so on, in terms of ca- attracting ratings, it's great. But um, there were some disturbing things, like, for example, the portrayal of innocent children uh, who happened to be involved peripherally with the O.J. story, like uh, Marsha Clark's sons. Um, it shows there's a scene at the beginning with Marsha Clark um, and her sons at breakfast, and she gets the call about the O.J. case, and she runs off. And, um, you know, it, the scene, sh- she sort of hurries her kids along and um, you can it makes her look as though and it may be true but it makes her look as though she is much more interested in her career ambitions than on taking good care of her children there's another scene where where um, there's a call with her children and she she rushes the children off um, you know to to deal with this OJ case and um, did her sons give permission? Did she give permission for the dialogue? I mean, who did she really say? Uh, tell the writers of the of the television show that that's what she said and that's what they said. I mean, that seems very unlikely. Um, there's 
So there doesn't seem to be enough of a disclaimer on the show uh, in terms of, uh, of the fact that it makes us believe that this dialogue is true, um, is the actual dialogue. In any case, that's, that's, the, that's the problem of the people who created the show to, to deal with. Um, one of the things I didn't like was um, at the very beginning, instead of opening with uh, something having to do with O.J. or Nicole um, or Ron Goldman or something to do with the case, it opens on uh, the Rodney King riot news clips. So right away, that tells you that the agenda of, um, of the show, of the TV series, is to present the the um, point of view that um, because Rodney King was suffered a miscarriage of justice because the police never really got what they deserved, um, that the message is, though, that because that was a miscarriage of justice for Rodney King, that O.J. deserved to be acquitted. Now, I, I know that they would say, no, that, that was, it was just to explain why the jury was so willing to um, acquit him because of... But it took the focus off of domestic violence and put it on racial discrimination. I'm not saying that that wasn't an aspect of it. Of course it was. But I just didn't like the show setting the agenda, telling us how we should view the whole rest of the series. Um, OJ's... The the scenes of OJ um, putting a gun to his head... Um, you know, and, and being in a state of a volatile state where uh, he was sort of on the edge of suicide was really fascinating. Um, you know, was he going to commit suicide? I, I mean, I think that there were certainly times when it seemed like he would because, um, because it was this, the famous uh, white Bronco ride um, and first, of course, you see him putting a gun to his head in um, Robert Kardashian's house, uh, which, let me stop there, because that was a very strange uh, scene. Um, they, there was a psychiatrist sitting in the house. A psychi- Robert Shapiro had called a psychiatrist expert witness in because he was concerned he might need to use an insanity defense or a diminished capacity defense, and so he had called the psychiatrist in who had apparently already seen O.J. and was sitting in the living room at the time that O.J. had a gun to his head in the bedroom. Now, why, I mean, if it's true, um, then why Robert Kardashian um, didn't call the psychiatrist in when O.J. is sitting on the floor with a gun to his head I have no idea. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. I'm not saying that it didn't happen, but what was going through Robert Kardashian's mind as to, here we have a psychiatrist in the house. Didn't he think that maybe a psychiatrist would be able to talk O.J. down? Or or in any case, at the very least, that that would help towards this defense of being crazy, being, you know, um, legally insane, Um so I, I, that does not that whole series does not make any sense. And of course, then OJ leaves the Kardashian house and goes in the white Bronco and has the chase. And um, but but he had he had made a um, while he was still in the house he wrote 
what is could be considered a suicide note. Um, and it end, ended, strangely enough, with a happy face. All of this is not all that unfathomable, unfathomable <laughs> for someone who has a borderline personality disorder, but um, you know, being vacillating between um, one extreme and the other. It was also that he wanted to, he knew that, especially in the Bronco chase, I mean, he had the whole country, actually internationally, he had people watching him. He had control. In a way, you know, he may well have planned, wanted to commit him suicide at, at various points there, especially because he had failed the polygraph test. He had seen Nicole in her coffin, and really part of him wanted to die to join Nicole um, in death, to be with her. And, you know, he didn't, he didn't want to let her abandon him. But um, but then, of course, what he was really enjoying was the fact that he was holding everyone. He had control over everyone. The police weren't going to um, do more than follow the, the Broncos slowly because, um, because they didn't want to be responsible for him killing himself. So, in fact, they let him drive back to his home, which was um, supposedly, you know, the idea was he wanted to see his mother, but... Unfortunately, his mother had um, had chest pains or had a stroke or had some kind of, you know, this whole thing was too stressful for his poor mother, and um, she was in the hospital. And so he finally gets to his home, and he speaks to his mother on the phone. And at least in this, in this television series, in the, on the show, he doesn't ask, um, and and doesn't seem concerned why his mother isn't at the house and, and doesn't ask why she's in the hospital. Doesn't seem concerned about that. Um, in fact, all he feels is being sorry for himself. He can, calls himself a battered husband. He, call, he considers himself a victim instead of the murderer. And, um, of course, you know, in real life, it's so ironic that... Um, O.J. now sits in jail um, for a much lesser crime, but of course the judge um, threw the book at him because he could and because, um, you know, O.J. was, was convicted or um, was, was found to be um, uh, guilty of owing um, the survivors, you know, in the civil trial. And so, so of course, it's... Um, you know, it's, it's, it's only fair that he be locked up for years. It's just kind of ironic and sad that the criminal jury didn't find him guilty in the first place. That was a miscarriage of justice. I mean, just like Rodney King, um, his, the police not getting uh, convicted and not getting enough years uh, was a miscarriage of justice. In this case, O.J. being acquitted was a miscarriage of justice and, and had the impact of um, uh, causing people to feel less, um, have less faith in the in the jury system, in the judicial system, and in, in our courts. And of course, then we have more recent kinds of examples of that: the affluenza teen Ethan Couch, and um, we see other examples of how, uh, you know, I mean, I guess you could say, in fame or money. Uh, can buy justice. And yes, in some cases that is true. But really, as an expert witness, I can tell you <laughs> that in the majority of cases, you know, 
there are lots of things that go into the decision of a jury. And sometimes it seems more fair and other times it's less fair. And really what, what, you know, what is not given enough credit is the fact that it's the psychological makeup of the jurors that contributes the most to what they finally decide, whether it's, you know, that they, they think that Rodney King um, got shafted, so O.J. should be acquitted, or, um, you know, whatever, whatever. They, they're looking at the evidence, in other words, through their glasses, through their life experiences, through their, what kind of childhood they had, what kind of adult life they had, uh, who they can identify with. So, you know, it isn't, um, it isn't a perfect science, but one can only do the best one can do in presenting one's case and um, hope for the best, hope that justice will prevail, and in most cases, it does. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. Again, um, if any of these things that I talked about, in not necessarily, I mean, the Super Bowl is over. However, Valentine's Day is coming. And um, if you're with somebody who, you know, if any of these things that I talked about, any of these warning signs or descriptions of a prince of darkness um, seem to hit home with you, then please get help. Go for therapy yourself. Talk to a therapist um, and tell him or her about, uh, about what you're experiencing in your relationship and uh, have, have them help you decide whether you should get out now or whether you should, how you can persuade your partner to get the help that he needs. Again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 